Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. Alina, who have we got with us today? We've got with us Mariana Favilla Vasquez, who is an archaeologist and research fellow at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. Uh, welcome, Mariana. Hi. Hi. Welcome, girls. Thank you so much for the invitation. Are you currently in Mexico City? Yeah, I am here in Mexico City. Oh, in lockdown. Jealous. <laughs> Are you locked down there as well? Yeah, totally, completely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because I think so, I read that Mexico is nearly as bad as the UK, isn't it? It suddenly got very bad in Mexico. Uh, probably in Mexico City, you know, mm. because of the high demography. Yeah. But not, not all around the country. No, no, no. Oh, well, fingers crossed we are all out of lockdown soon. Yeah. But we are here today to talk to you. You specialise in Mesoamerican studies, in, especially in navigation, don't you? Yeah, I've been doing uh, research on that topic for the last 10 years, actually. It's more like a topic related to maritime archaeology, you know, but maritime archaeology is a tradition that hasn't been really... Um, evolved here in Mexico. What we do is more like underwater archaeology, yeah. which uh, sometimes lacks this theoretical frame, which you know, the maritime archaeology has. So, first of all, I guess then, can you tell us about the pre-Hispanic navigation traditions in Central America? Well, yeah, so basically this uh, pre-Hispanic navigation tradition refers to all the technological assemblages and complex social organization uh, related to the movement through water by using some type of nautical technology, uh, specifically in the vast territories that were conquered by the Spaniards in the 16th century. And uh, this includes the cultural area known as Mesoamerica, which covers a large part or area, including the central part of modern Mexico, the Yucatan Peninsula, which is really close to the Caribbean, and the southwest of uh, Mexico uh, in, in some modern state, states such as Oaxaca, as well as Guatemala, Belize, and Honduras. So this activity uh, actually can be conceived as um, part of the process of building a cultural landscape. And well, cultural landscape is like a concept that I use from cultural geography and historical mm -hmm. geography. And uh, we could also say that this kind of uh, activity in, or understand this activity as the deployment of various strategies that made it possible to control a vast geographical and cultural space through movement by both water and land. 
uh, it works simultaneously with terrestrial paths and because not all all the single sections of the rivers or, or yeah basically rivers could be navigated uh, it includes the, uh, when we study this this uh, practice it includes it, it includes the aquatic routes the architecture associated to certain places the nautical technology the specialized knowledge of the people engaged in this activity and also myths rituals and even warfare this sounds brilliant. Can I ask you, so up to Spanish, so that's when the Spanish arrive in the 1500s, when do your studies start? What's the beginning of the period you look about? Look at? <laughs> that's a tricky question because, um, well, for, well, yeah, I, I've been doing this research in three different places and let's say like periods. The first one was uh, uh, focused on the central highland of Mexico in what is today Mexico City, uh, where there used to be a huge uh, five lakes and where the Aztecs actually uh, established their, their capital. And in the post-classic period, which is between 1200 and 1519 uh, um, after Christ, um, we, there was a large, a very important nautical tradition in the lake so that is one of the studies that I made like 10 years ago <laughs> and then <laughs> I moved to the to the east coast of uh, Mexico of Mexico in the cultural area where the Olmecs exist uh, inhabited in this would be something around 1500 uh, before Christ yeah I love that you jump around geographically and that you look at different places because it must be really interesting uh, how does it differ in the pacific to the atlantic and what archaeological evidence do you deal with well yeah as i was saying i've been going through from the center of mexico of mexico to the east and then to the west right so this has allowed me to um, probably have a better idea of uh, precisely how uh, which are the characteristics that are um, that are present in all those in these all these different territories, and what we have is that there is basically two types of uh, nautical technology. One is the dugout canoes, and the other one is the rafts. Yeah, and they can be, they, we can find both of them from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and even in the peninsula of Yucatan, which is uh, in the east, and. Uh, Relating to the differences, well, the materials used to construct these vessels varies from each region, right? But the, the, the shape is basically the, 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 the same. And uh, we also need, this is a working process. I mean, there is a lot of research that needs to be done uh, yet in order to really understand. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, do you, do you see them swapping technology as well from one region to another? Well, the thing is that, and also related to the other question, uh, we only have four dugout canoes from pre-Hispanic times. Mm. Only four. So oh, wow. there is not really a lot of archaeological evidence. And I don't think it's because there, it doesn't exist. It's because we haven't really uh, looked for them, you know, in, in specific places. And uh, one was recovered in Mexico City in the second half of the 20th century. Two more were recovered from the south of modern Veracruz, really close to the seashore and associated to an important river. And one more was found in Belize, 
which is probably Mayan. And apart from that, we have a lot, okay, this is important. Uh, when I started studying all these topics and my supervisors told me, what, what are you going to do with uh, so few examples of archeological uh, evidence? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is that you have to actually uh, see many other kinds of evidences. And, and I found hundreds of representations of canoes in codices, codex, you know, these uh, ancient painting books, painted books that uh, mm -hmm. the indigenous people created and in ceramic vessels, objects, um, mural paintings, etc. So it has been a process of uh, making myself <laughs> more interdisciplinary, you know. Yeah, it's actually it's turned out really well because you've had to be so diverse in where you've gone for your sources. Yeah. Exactly. This is the kind of history we like. We call it, I don't know how it translates in Spanish, but we call them rabbit holes where you're a historian and you get obsessed with one little thing and how it works and you can't find the answer. So you just spend your life digging down this really <laughs> crazy topic. Um, and it sounds like you found your rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how you're looking more at the wider context rather than just something so specific. Yeah, I'm actually trying to understand, you know, like this tradition is not just, uh, wasn't just present in, in ancient Mesoamerica. It was something that was present from in the north, in the United States, the current territory of the United States, Central, Central America and South America also. So um, in, in my case, I don't pretend to really understand how it worked all along the, through all the continent, but at least in Mesoamerica, which is the territory where I work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to understand in a more general scope how this tradition works. So if I've been to Lake Titicaca in Peru and I have seen the traditional um, yeah. boats and canoes that they make from the reeds, we went out and saw, you know, the people that live on the rafts made from reeds. Uh, yeah. We went and saw them. Is it a similar kind of um, tradition that down there as it is up in your area as well? No, I think it's completely different, actually. Mm. You know, that is very interesting because it's completely different. And there has been many research also focused on trying to um, identify uh, if uh, seafarers from Ecuador and probably Peru mm -hmm. arrived to the, to the Pacific coast of, um, of Mexico. And uh, we have historical accounts that actually talked about seafarers that are coming from the south and that they had to stay in, in certain places for six months until they could go, go back to their original place. But we don't really know who these people is, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, basically. And so we do have uh, like different types of vessels here, you know, but the kind of of uh, vessels that they have in 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 Bolivia and in, in Peru is extremely different from what we have here. So, what do you find in your lakes and rivers then in your area? Yeah, well, so that is a very interesting question because uh, many of the studies of the previous studies were were focused on the Mayan Mayan area, you know, in the Caribbean and the peninsula of Yucatan. And actually, they have been described, you know, the, the ancient Mayans as the Phoenicians of the New World. But uh, then I realized that this tradition wasn't just um, wasn't just practiced, or this activity wasn't just practiced in the sea, in the sea or the coastline. It was also practiced in lakes and rivers. And the best examples that we have here in South America is precisely the central 
highland lakes where the Aztecs and all the surrounding people lived, you know, it was, uh, they, they created an island and they were surrounded by water and they had to create all this nautical technology and system uh, in order to actually deploy all the, the control of this, of this uh, lake. And we also have the other example, which is the, the Tarascos from Michoacán, which is one of the, of the groups that weren't able, the, the Aztecs were not able to conquer them. And they also lived in a, in a lake, and they also had this very important and complex tradition of navigation. And it's like an aquatic uh, way, life, way of life. But it, it's, uh, in these indigenous societies, rivers, lakes, and the ocean were conceived as connected, interconnected. That is also very important. So they could move through, through rivers in, the, in direction to the ocean and probably just move from, from one place to another, you know? It, it was, everything was important. So are any of your traditions that you look at in your work tied to religion? Well, uh, yeah, that, that is a complex question, but it's one of the most interesting ones. We love a complex uh, question. Please go for it. <laughs> yeah, so basically what we have among the Maya, Mayan, about the Maya and the Aztec, uh, the Nahua societies from the Central Highland, are, there's, there are some myths, you know, like some stories that... Um, explain some uh, natural uh, phenomena, for example, the movement of the sun, right, in the sky. And there are myths that establish an, anal an analogy with this movement and navigation. So the sun would be somehow a god um, navigating through the sky in a canoe, that at the same time <laughs> has like some symbolic uh, symbols and some yeah, also some kind of uh, values, you know, that are more like cosmogonic and, and cosmo from the cosmovision of these people. And there were also rituals uh, practiced in the lake. For example, here in Mexico, in, in what was the lake around the capital of Tenochtitlan, um, there was a place where they would go with the, the canoes and then offer, well, <laughs> many things among objects and uh, people, you know, and also even canoes were of, uh, offered like um, to, the, to this place in, in the lake. So, uh, yeah, we have myths, we have uh, basically rituals um, that are written and were um, witnessed by the Spaniards when they arrived here. And that is basically what we have. Um, the myths are not just what I told you, there are also many myths that talk about the arrival of the first people to this land and how they actually came out from an island and navigated through, through a water body, which we don't know what, what it was, and then arrived here and established the capital and whatever. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's brilliant. Um, does the landscape of Central America make it more difficult than in other regions? Yeah, that, that is a great question. There is something that we must consider. Um, the wheel was known here but it wasn't used to transport to 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 you know to transport anything as in many other places in the ancient world and so one of the huge questions for archaeologists and historians here in mexico has been why why these indigenous people didn't use the wheel to create uh, you know the uh, transport te technologies and um, i believe that one of the answers has to do with topography precisely with topography and the landscape, how the landscape is shaped here in Mexico. We have a, a really huge diversity of ecosystems and topography. So uh, probably it was easier to just walk and also to navigate to yeah. some of these rivers. Yeah. And I'm thinking like the Costa Rican rainforest, for example, is you can't drive through. It doesn't matter if you have a wheel. It's not going to get you very far, is it? Exactly. Yeah, mm. and even, you know, the Spaniard, Hernán Cortés, the conqueror, when he was um, uh, traveling through one part of the southeast of, of Mexico, uh, he, he mentions in his, in his letters that they couldn't move walking, you know. They, they had to um, navigate through the rivers because that was the only way to, to move through that, uh, through that uh, place. What so... I'm really interested to know what kind of technology then developed in that region, because if you don't need the wheel, technology still advances, doesn't it? People still think and invent. Yeah, so that that is very interesting. What we have is basically, you know, like these dugout canoes um, that are shaped from the, the from a tree. And they, they probably had various sizes, but the shape is not very complex, but it's really efficient. And they could actually support like even probably four tons of weight, uh, which is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and, um, we don't, as we, as we don't have as many archaeological evidences as we wish, what we do have is all these different uh, descriptions of how these were made, which trees were used, how, how big they were, how small they were. And we also have the, the information about warfare uh, vessels. And these vessels were used primarily here in, in central Mexico, in the lake. And it wasn't very complex, but it had some serious technolo some technological improvements that allowed to protect the people inside the canoe from the attacks from people outside the canoe, you know. <laughs> yeah, so 
it's it's been really hard because you know uh, we don't have the vessels that maybe you can see in many other ancient uh, places in the world like Egypt probably or uh, China or whatever. But what we do have is that this uh, pro-Hispanic navigation tradition was really important and really had very uh, serious implications in the in the process of complexity of the Mesoamerican society. Someone gave me the opportunity in Egypt to see the uh, pharaonic boat that's by the pyramids. Um, and I was walking to look at it and I had the exact money in my hand. But then a guy said, if you give me that money, I will let you take a picture of me kissing my camel. And I did. So <laughs> oh I didn't go and look at the boat because I find it was hilarious, to be fair. <laughs> I think I take the camel over the boat too. Sorry, I'm really sorry. Alcohol was involved, but like literally, oh. and it's t- with tongues as well. It's hilarious. But uh, yeah, so I, and now I look back, I'm like, what the hell were you doing? You had like a 5,000 year old boat right there, and you pit, I think alcohol was involved. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there is alcohol. I'm not a boaty person, so go for it. Go mock me. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, yeah, Alina, go on with that next question. Yeah, go for it. How does the navigation tradition vary from region to region? I mean, what are the biggest differences you see? Uh, we don't, I, I, I'm not really, you know, we don't have for enough information for that. What I would say is that um, it's important to emphasize that even in the Mayan area, in the Mayan area, for example, in the peninsula of Yucatan, uh, Navigation was very important to commerce, you know, to, to yeah, to, to commerce around all, the whole peninsula. And uh, probably what I'm still trying to understand <laughs> is which were like the different um, the materials, because we don't really have like more than the ethnographic, sometimes ethnographic uh, data. Uh, talking about the different types of um, trees used to construct uh, the, the dog canoes or the even rituals to construct because there were only also rituals. So I, I would say that it varies from region to region according to the landscape, right? According to the to the trees that were available to construct these dog canoes. But apart from that, what we see is really a more like at, at this point of the research, um, not extremely homogene- homogeneous, you know, like it's not the same everywhere, but it was used for the, sa- the same kind of activities, probably warfare, um, commercial purposes, uh, translate, uh, uh, move pre- uh, things from one place to another, move people from one place to another, and in rituals. So that is something that I find in the Mayan area, in the Mexican lakes, in the central Mexican lakes, and in the Pacific a part of the of the Mesoamerica also. I don't know if that answers the, the question. It's so difficult, isn't it, in that yeah. all of these American, uh, both Central and sort of South American traditions and even North American, before uh, you get migration come in, they're all, they don't have written sources, do they? Or written sources that we necessarily understand. I know that the, in- the uh, Incas have got all those coloured threads with the knots in and nobody gets yeah. what it's about. So they, but yeah. it's not traditions that have passed down that would give us huge piles of source material, is it? Yeah, exactly. That is a problem. But we, um, the other part is that 
we do have a lot of um, stories and, and news from the first Spaniards that arrived to this place. This is um, the thing, isn't it? So then yeah. the Spaniards, I'm trying not to say, but then the Spaniards come and bring written like history and yay, because they also bring syphilis and plague and brutality <laughs> and, and horrible things. But that's you must see a big upturn in what is available to you when yeah. the conquest happens. Yeah, completely, because it was, it, it's really interesting to read how they were actually very surprised for this technological, nautical technology, you know? Mm. They actually repeat a lot, oh, these vessels are so much better than the ones that we have, you know? It's like this yeah. hypocritical yeah. Western view, like, wow, they're not just dumb indigenous people. That, yeah, and yeah. They, they actually say they are faster, they weigh less, they are easy to carry, uh, and they actually start hiring. They hire people to move uh, merchandise and objects and products through smuggling. You know, like they hire can canoes, people that move uh, objects in the canoes. And then the king has to actually uh, stop this activity because the smuggling becomes a really hard um, problem, you know. So, Mariana, you have some absolutely insane insane sources i mean what is your favorite source that you found today in your research uh, <laughs> um i would say uh one of the sources that i love to read is actually the diaries from the first uh religious people that came from spain to evangelize the indigenous people these people were actually traveling through all the territory of the new spain you know and so they had to move from one place to another, and they actually have many descriptions precisely of this nautical technology and how it worked and through which rivers they were sailing and whatever. And it's really fun sometimes to actually read what they are saying because they are like, oh, my God, uh, if, you pull, if you pull out an arm out of the canoe, a, a crocodile would arrive and eat you immediately. So they have like these amazing accounts, you know, like these amazing stories of uh, their own experiences in, in using this technology, this nautical technology. Uh, my other uh, favorite, one of my favorite uh, sources are maps, maps, actually historical maps because even sometimes you have like the vessels depicted you know in these really early historical maps from the Spain and sometimes you have to actually find um, like certain things in these maps that actually talk about this activity you know like certain connections among the rivers and places or certain symbols that may be implying that navigation was important too. So that is like trickier, it's more difficult, but it's really interesting. It's really fun. Is there anything we've missed that we should talk about? Uh, to mention that one of the interpretations that I have been working on for the last few years mm. relates to an, an, another analogy among these vessels and the mainland in the Mesoamerican Cosmovision. I'm going to explain this. In the Mesoamerican Cosmovision, um, the mainland was conceived as a reptile, you know, as a turtle mm -hmm. or either as a, some kind of crocodile. Yeah. And yeah. it received different names from one place to another, from the central Mexico 
the name of this monster, which is this creature, was Sipatli. Mm -hmm. And the name for this creature in the Mayan area was Itzapna. And I, I already knew this before, well, uh, something that I knew, but then I started to find depictions of these canoes with symbols associated to these two monsters, to these two creatures, you know? Vessels uh, depicted with the head of Itzapna, for example. And this was really weird because I said, why, why would they be depicting these, these canoes in this way? What, what does it mean? Um, once I, I started to dig, you know, to, to research more, and I had to do, I had to go to these uh, places, you know, and, and interview people actually, and uh, talk with modern people, you know, and these analogies were also present in the modern days. So at the end, my conclusion from this uh, phenomenon, from this problem is that Probably uh, the canoes, uh, basically the canoes, were conceived as um, a replica in miniature from the mainland or an extension from the mainland that would allow the people to actually navigate safely through these water bodies. You know? And it may have many more connotations behind it, you know, uh, but at least at this point I understand that there is some like analogical and replicant reasoning behind these depictions. I, I thought that was important to mention. Mariana, thank you so much for joining us. That was absolutely fantastic. We've been lacking history in this area and archaeology, especially in this area. So it's been absolutely fantastic having you on board talking all about this for us. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was a really, it was really great to talk to you. Join us tomorrow when we will be joined by Eldon Yellowhorn of the First Nations Piccany tribe. Uh, we are going to be talking all about First Nations First Contact. We're going to be looking at one particular guy who worked for the Hudson Bay Company and his experiences on meeting the Blackfoot and the Cree. So don't miss out on that one. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. <laughs> 